This is, go ahead. This is WBEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at WBEW.org. This is Indigo Radio. Deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. So welcome, everybody. We apologize for our (laughs) technical mishaps this morning, but we're excited for our show today. This is part three of a series on Venezuela. Yeah, and today, last week we discussed media narratives around food and analyzing them within a historical context through the lens of food politics from colonialization to today. And... We were referencing an article, The Politics of Food in Venezuela, and we're actually really excited. Um, We have an upcoming show that we're going to interview one of the authors of that article about food sovereignty around the world. So to start us off today, we'll be listening to a song. And Nina, remind me of the title of the song. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Rebel Diaz. And the title of the song is Work Like Chavez. Los que mueren por la vida no pueden llamarse muertos. Y a partir de este momento es prohibido llorarlos. Compañero Hugo Chavez, presente. La revolución bolivariana, presente, let's go. Yo en Caracas, el proceso va para adelante. En el Chicago, el proceso va para adelante. Yo en el South Bronx, el proceso va para adelante. It goes worldwide, el proceso va para adelante. I can't front, I'm upset that they took our building. Next thing, the comandante, man, I know they killed them. Something going on, I gotta read the signs. Something telling me that it's about that time. Time to step it up, cause I still smell sulfur. Still smell the money in this capitalist culture. I'm dedicating verses to my boy Jamil. He out there in Venezuela, front line is real. Hunts Point, New York, 2005. That's when I realized the revolution's so alive. We ain't never had a president come around mine. He brought oil for the poor in the winter time. He showed love to the Bronx, that's called solidarity. We show love back, ain't no politician scaring me. Anti imperialist, till I go delirious. The work is getting serious, that's why they keep fearing us. Mathematics, Hugo Chavez was the baddest. I gotta work like Chavez. Do the mathematics, Hugo Chavez was the baddest. I gotta work like Chavez. And in Chicago, Yo, in the South Bronx, it goes worldwide. Forward, this movement ain't defeated. La lucha sigue. Dentro de todo, esa rebeldía existe. La CIA comete crimen. Igual las ideas viven. Aquí el pueblo decide. No lo que los medios dicen. Quieren parar una cultura alternativa. Fíjate desde el Bronx hasta América Latina. Capitalistas van, capitalistas vienen. Buscan tus bienes. Quieren hacer lo que quieren. Ahora decimos no. No al imperialismo. Neoliberalismo. Los bancos, los ricos. Ni un millonario, Chávez fue solidario Ni Bush ni Obama llegaron a ayudarnos No lo olvidamos, más que venezolano Esto cruza frontera, hijo bolivariano América unida, como creamos ese frente Solidaridad por todo el continente Do the mathematics, Hugo Chávez was the baddest I gotta work like Chávez Do the mathematics, Hugo Chávez was the baddest I gotta work like Chávez Yo en Caracas, el proceso va para 
Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio on WVWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. So today we're going to listen to an interview by Hector Figuerella, and he is a Venezuelan-American. He's actually living just south of us in western Massachusetts. And um, we talked to him about, you know, the history of Venezuela leading up to today and then a little bit more about what's happening today. And I just want to say a few words about that song, uh, Work Like Chavez. I think you'll hear throughout the show some references to what they were talking about in the song. For example, one of um, Chavez's biggest things was the um, unity across the continent so that no longer um, being dictated by what the U.S. says and wants throughout the country, and he was joined by many, many other countries and leaders. Um, But I also think in the Work Like Chavez song, it's important to remember that it was the work of the Venezuelan people that really made the Bolivarian Revolution possible. And so throughout our show today, we're going to listen to um, some specifics about Venezuela, but also make connections because um, the U.S. role or the U.S.'s attempted takeover of Venezuela is nothing new in U.S. history. And so throughout the show, we want to be thinking about how does this connect to history and current day of what's happening in other places. So let's go ahead and just start the interview with Hector Figuerella. Hello, we have Hector Figuerella on the call with us right now, and we're going to do an interview with him. I met him at a talk with DJ Prashad last week in Northampton. Thank you so much, Hector, for joining us on Indigo Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, do you want to say a few words for our listeners about who you are and um, your connection to Venezuela? Sure, sure. Uh, um, so I am. Um, I was born in Venezuela. I'm um, also an American citizen. I'm a Venezuelan American with a with a background of activism around food justice, uh, workers' rights justice, environmental justice. Uh, I've done some work around water registration. And most recently, I work as an emergency medical technician in Greenfield, Massachusetts. And just um, just here because I'm definitely worried about the escalation of the situation in Venezuela. Absolutely. Thank you. So, um We'll get into what's actually happening, but can you give an overview um, of how we got to where we are today? Of course, yes. Um, so Venezuela uh, happens to be right now um, the number one, the, the country with the number one oil reserves on the planet, and possibly the number one reserves of gold, uh, coltan, oxide and several other resources that are strategic resources um, for modern-day capitalism uh, and also, well, 
how we got here so venezuela for for many many years i would say for close to a century uh in the, the 20th century most of the 20th century was was ruled by an oligarch that it was two political parties was copay and Acción Democrática, Democratic Action, uh, who share power um, between between different presidential periods. So, you know, people be dissatisfied with one party and then move to the other side. But never really, there was never really any kind of uh, benefit for the, for the for the population overall. So, in, in throughout that time, it was very much allied to the United States and the United States oil corporations uh, worked the oil fields and probably kept most of the profits. And so the oligarchy that grew around the oil industry became extremely wealthy and powerful. And a lot of them make Miami, USA, their second home. Um, so this, this went on for decades. And in 1989, there was, uh, during the presidency of Carlos Andres Perez, there was uh, loans that were given to Venezuela by the IMF. And these loans, as usual, demanded that they cut subsidies for fuel and transportation. So they did this. And the following day, when Venezuelans got up to, uh, to go to work, they found out that, you know, it was it was, you know, everything was a lot more expensive. And this led to the Caracaso, uh, which was a revolt, a riot that broke out in the major cities, mainly in Caracas. People rioted, they sacked the city, um, and the government's response at the time was to to take, to, um, to be very heavy-handed and sending the military out, the National Guard, and the estimates range from 300 to 3,000 people were probably killed during the suppression of the Caracaso. So at the time, Hugo Chavez was the colonel in, in the Army, and he, this was a pivotal moment for him when he, tells, when he told the story that something needed to be done to change the status quo. So. In 1992, February 4th, he led a coup against the same president, Carlos Andres Perez. But the coup failed. They were not able to take control of Caracas. So Chavez was sent to prison. They, they surrendered. He was sent to prison. And in 1990, 1998, Chavez, Chavez was pardoned by Carlos Andres, uh, by President Caldera. After that, I was realized that the best way to take power would be through the electoral process instead of trying a guerrilla-type insurgency. He felt that this was this was not the right moment for Venezuela. He felt Venezuela was ready for for a revolution through the electoral process. So he was elected as a third-party candidate in 1998, and he won 60% of the votes. So this gave him a mandate. And one of the first things that Chavez did was to call for a constitutional assembly. So to rewrite the constitution, the Venezuelan constitution that reflected modern day age. And the 
probably one of the most uh, modern constitutions as far as how it recognizes uh, different things that you won't see anywhere else, like such as uh, mom, mothers or parents who stay home to care for the children, that's considered a job under the Venezuelan constitution. Um, so this led to many social programs being instituted. Also at the same time, when Chavez came to power, oil prices were about $10 a barrel. So through, through international diplomacy, whatever you want to call it, maneuvering, uh, Chavez was able to get other OPEC members to, to try to get the price of oil to a level that was fair for everybody. The prices of oil, um, I can't say that that was the only reason why the prices of oil went up around that time, but they did steadily went up. This gave Venezuela a huge infusion of much-needed uh, money that was invested directly into social programs. So during that period, uh, probably about... Uh, many, many, many homes were, up to this point, let's say, you know, about 40 universities were built, 2.5 million homes were, have been built, uh, and there's, you know, as far as, like, the increase in people that can read, also the decrease in malnutrition, and also people that have lived in extreme, extreme poverty decreased by, by, by 30%. So these were these were successes that were recognized by the United Nations as well. So during this whole time, the the United States uh, government. Let's just be clear. Uh, there is this is something that I'm very mindful to differentiate between the United States government and the United States as a whole, because uh, it is the United States government that has been trying to crush and destroy the, this socialist experiment that's been, that's been taking place in Venezuela for the, for the past 20 years. So you have a situation where you have participatory democracy as well. Uh, so during that time, so Chavez came to power. So he was elected in 88. Uh, he was sworn in in 1999. And then in 2002, so right after Chavez took power, there were and there were efforts by the opposition who is very right-wing, extreme, some make, some, can, some, can, some call it with fascist tendencies. They tried to topple uh, him through a recall referendum. The Venezuelan Constitution has a clause that midway to a presidential term, if you gather enough current signatures, you can call, you can have a recall referendum on the mandate, uh, the presidential mandate. So Chavez won the recall referendum, and right after, so since that failed, the opposition continued to sabotage, and this also included hoarding of uh, goods. This was the time when uh, things you couldn't find certain products in the streets because business owners were hoarding the products, uh, and people couldn't find them. And it's also a black market dollars, black market system around the dollar and the bolivar that tends to weaken the bolivar. So the official exchange rate for the for dollars to bolivar is 
is and 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 the difference between that and the black market is just just mind-boggling the difference. So for the longest time, it was like 60 bolivares to one dollar, but in the black market, you could you could get you could get one dollar for three thousand bolivares. So this just led to um, what we have now, which is hyperinflation. So in 2002, there was a an, there was a coup that took place. Uh, that was this was April 11, 2002, and it's it's been well documented. The documents that have been released by the State Department prove that the United States have uh, prior knowledge of this coup and did not inform the Venezuelan government. So Chavez was. So there were two opposition marches. There was there was an opposition march and a pro-Chavez march, and last minute the opposition leader. Well, organizer redirected the, the opposition march to head towards the presidential palace. So you had you had a situation where the both marches were coming to a head, and then right at that point, people from both sides, the opposition and pro-government marches, started to be <clears throat> they were being shot by snipers uh, right to the head. So. I think it was probably about a dozen people were murdered that day, and so through media, through the media, which at the time a lot of the most of the media was controlled by the opposition in Venezuela. So when you look at the news reports, it looked as if uh, Chavez or pro-Chavez demonstrators were shooting at the op- at the opposition marchers, which was not the case. Uh, when you look at other footages, the Chavez supporters were shooting at buildings where the snipers were shooting from. So, but we didn't know this at the time. So they, the opposition, had a whole plan to blame the government for the death. So they were shooting people from both camp, both camps, um, and they just they just didn't care. So they had 20 high high command officers that came together. Uh, and joined the opposition and called for the resignation of Hugo Chavez. He never resigned. He was kidnapped, taken to an island off the coast of Venezuela where he was supposed to be killed. So the pe- so word got out that he did not resign, that this was a coup. People came to the streets in just mass numbers and surrounded the presidential palace. Uh, so this led to, the, to about 98% of the military to turn against to to ally next to Chavez, you know, to honor the Constitution and to stand by the president. So the coup failed. Chavez was back in power for 48 hours. But this did not stop the opposition. The 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 it's been it's been a constant onslaught of just economic sabotage. Uh, there was an oil there was an oil stoppage right after Chavez took power that brought the economy uh, to its knees. Most of Venezuela's income comes from oil revenues. So, so this this has been challenges that, that the Venezuelan government uh, has has been able to uh, to survive. So, so let's see. So that was 2002. Um, so without the opposition has been trying to to um, to undermine the government every step of the way. So there were constitutional constitution there were constitutional uh national na- national elections 
where the opposition decided not to run. So that led to the entire Congress being being controlled by uh, pro-Chavez members. So this led to many, many, many reforms that continue until today as far as, you know, uh, the housing missions, uh, also like Mission Rivas, which allows people to get their, their high school diplomas, uh, in, you know, adults to get their high school diplomas, uh, and also missions to have people uh, be uh, be operated on and regain their eyesight, things that just never happen. Uh, also, like, such uh, pensions for retired individuals that was basically non-existent during, before, before, before the socialist revolution. Uh, so, tonight, today, there's like five million senior uh, citizens that get their pension. So, the, the benefits, uh, have, are, are enormous. So, in 2000, fast forward to 2000, like, there, there were congressional elections in 2000, I want to say 2015, where the, Let's see, 2015, there were elections, and the Venezuelan opposition. Good afternoon. This is WVEW LP 107.7, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. This is Indigo Radio. You've just been listening to an interview with Hector Figuerella, who's discussing how we've gotten to this point with Venezuela. Um, he spoke of the um, 1989 loans to Venezuela by the IMF, um, where they demanded to cut that Venezuela cut subsidies to fuel for Venezuelans. Um, he spoke about the failed coup, coup attempt in 1992, um, and has been just discussing leading up to how we've gotten to um, this imperialist war today with Venezuela. Um, we wanted to let you know about a film coming up. Oh, no, there's a film online called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, um, which is really great because it, it kind of goes through the history that he was just briefly mentioning about how the media manipulated things to make it look like the pro-Chavez march um, was to blame for the shootings. Um, and it just goes through the attempted coup by the opposition to Chavez that was supported by the U.S. So check it out online. We'll take a short break now and listen to a song called Sunrise Above Obama. Um, you're listening to Indigo Radio. Thanks so much. I'm on a war tour with Obama, my man. It never matters where I go, yo, there I am. I'm on a war tour with a gun in my hand. Bombing each and every land, cause I'm there I can. This war is never ending, let's stop pretending. This government keeps its truth everywhere it sends them. Forever, never even occupying other lands. Since World War II, they still got troops in Japan, man. And they plan to keep them there for eternity. 65 years later, still got soldiers left in Germany. This USA, hey, that's how they do ya. Since 1898, they're still a Navy base in Cuba. Guantanamo. Yeah, no matter where we go, they adore us. Cause we always bring McDonald's with us. Plus a couple models with us. What's the problem with us? Iraq, Afghan, Libya, and what? Child killing, bomb dropping, tree chopping, huh? 
Iraq, Afghan, Libyan, what? Child killing, bomb dropping, tree chopping, huh? I'm on a war tour with Obama, my man. It never matters where I go, yo, there I am. I'm on a war tour with a gun in my hand. Bombing each and every land, cause I'm there I can. We like war. We like war. We're a warlike people. We like war because we're good at it. You know why we're good at it? Because we get a lot of practice. I'm on a war tour with Obama, my man. It never matters where I go, yo, there I am. I'm on a war tour with a gun in my hand. Bombing each and every land, cause I'm there I can. Yeah, no matter where we go, they adore us. Cause we always bring McDonald's with us, plus a couple models with us. What's the problem with us? Iraq, Afghan, Libya, and what? Child killing, bomb dropping, tree chopping, huh? Iraq, Afghan, Libya, and what? Child killing, bomb dropping, tree chopping, huh? Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. You've been listening to an interview with Hector Figuerella, and we were just listening to a song um, that was about y- U.S. involvement in wars um, pretty consistently. Um, we actually, the photo on that song morphs uh, President George Bush's face with Obama's face, the um, symbolizing. You know, we thought by electing Obama that we would be out of wars, but in fact, he involved us um, in in more um, military militarization in in many more countries: Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Yemen, Somalia, Pakistan, um, and that the um, the facade that by electing a, a Democrat might end that um, has proven to be wrong. So we're going to go back to our interview with Hector Figuerella. Um, he'll talk a little bit more about the Bolivarian Revolution and U.S. imperialism in Venezuela today. Thanks so much for listening. A few questions about what you've already said. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you, like, just some of the, um, with the Constitutional Assembly, can you talk a little bit more about what's in the Constitution? You mentioned parents being able to stay at home, that's considered a job. Um, I also read somewhere that food is guaranteed as a right now in the Constitution. Can you say a few more about what else was put into the Constitution at that time? Uh, I mean, the right, the right to education from, you know, from, from kindergarten to university is, is free of charge. Mm-hmm. So it's basically everything the opposite of what the IMF tried to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. And when you talk about the opposition and then when you talk about the people who supported who who support the Bolivarian Revolution, is there a distinction between these two groups? Like who is the opposition and who are the people part of the Bolivarian process? Yeah. Venezuela Venezuela thinks you know, it's a country that is is very Um, culturally mixed. We have, you know, we have mestizos, which is uh, uh, Spanish and Indian, uh, but also a lot of a lot of Europeans that have settled in Venezuela over over the centuries. 
some people, people from Colombia, from all over Latin America. There are about 5 million Colombians living in Venezuela since Colombia has had an internal conflict for the past five decades. Um, so, the, I mean, when you look at the opposition, for the most part, for the most part, these, these are individuals who are well off economically. Uh, a lot of them, uh, I mean, they're, call, they're calling for a humanitarian, that there's a humanitarian crisis in Venezuela, but when you go down to Venezuela and you go to their neighborhoods, you know, it's, it's, it's still, they're, they're doing very well, even with the current economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, like, the people who, who support the government, these tend to be uh, poorer Venezuelans, dark-skinned Venezuelans. So this is very much also a, a racial, there's also a racial divide, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even when you look at you look at pictures of the National Assembly versus the Constitutional Assembly that we have right now, it's, it's quite the contrast. You can see the white versus dark-skinned individuals. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a you know, divided nation, but also along racial lines and socioeconomic lines as well. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about, um, like, something that I find fascinating is that um, the media here in the U.S. wants to make, make it seem like Chavez was the leader and made all the decisions and did all the work and will even go so far as calling him a dictator. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious if that's your understanding or if you could talk a little bit more about what, how, how people participated in the Bolivarian Revolution. Right. I mean, one of one of the things that is remarkable about the process is starting for starting with the electoral process. Uh, the Carter the Carter Center, founded by former United States President Jimmy Carter, who you know they monitor elections around the globe, and they have monitored Venezuelan elections. And former President Jimmy Carter himself called the Venezuelan electoral process the best in the world. This is this is her former President Jimmy Carter. So it's, 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 a, it's an automated system where you, uh, you, are, you, know, you, you, you verify your identity to a, finger, to a fingerprint. I know a lot of people will probably be turned off by that. So you verify that you say who, who, who you say you are, and then you, you, it's a secret vote. And then the voting machine gives you a printed receipt of, of, as, to, as to how you voted. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you verify your vote. This is how you vote it, and then you turn that receipt in. So it's totally you can totally it's a total verifiable system. So you can go back and survey a poll station. You know, this is what the machine says, and this is what the printer receipt says. So this it's very mm-hmm. hard to to have electoral fraud in a system like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so another another way has been the participatory. You know, was very mindful about. Uh, having the people be participants in this democratic process. So he was very big on the participatory democracy. And what he meant by that is organizing at the local level through communes. So communes are um, programs that people start in their own communities. So organizing your community and you have elections of who's going to be running um, what wow. it could be like food access, it could be sports, it could be 
safety. So different areas, food, and, you know, as far as like food production. So members of the of certain community get together, they run for office. This is locally, and they try to figure out their own problems. And there is mm-hmm. government assistance as, as far as like for resources that they can they can ask. So before it, it would be like a council member that would decide we're going to build a school. Now it's, it's totally the opposite. The people that get together, it's like, and this is what we need. This is how we're going to do it. So in that in that respect, it's, it's very much inclusive, uh, and this is a process that the opposition uh, just cannot relate to. Uh, they just they come from a different world. They, they 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 cannot relate to the lives of the average Venezuelan, and this is another reason why coup after coup has failed because they cannot they cannot they're just not able to relay to most of Venezuelans as far as you know, how, how, how life is on the ground. Mm-hmm. But you can also see through what you've been talking about why they, why wealthy people would be opposed to this because they've been in control of the economy and now it's putting that control back into the hands of the people. Right. Right. This, 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 this really, I don't know if it scares them. I think it does, but it definitely infuriates them. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of racism that comes along with this. I mean, Chavez was called a monkey because of, you know, his, his thick hair and his his, his bold lips. Um, uh, the former, I mean, the current vice president, Delcy Rodriguez, has, you know, has been drawn in drawn compared to uh, to uh, chimpanzee when you, you know, mm-hmm. in papers. So there's definitely a, a, a real racist presence in Venezuelan politics, which can be very dangerous. It is very dangerous, actually, even right now. So mm-hmm. people in the in the in the communas are being threatened. People that that lead uh, certain aspects of the socialist economy are being threatened by uh, by violent aspects of the opposition. This is this is very real. During the protests of 2017, when the opposition called for street protests, that this these were called guarimbas, so guarimberos. They were they would set up barricades and black roads, denying access to the residents of that street or that neighborhood to leave or to enter to go to go to work or to come back home. So this turned really violent. Uh, probably, I think about 100 people were killed. But one last point out that you, you will not see this in the, in the mainstream media in the U.S. or in the Venezuelan op- opposition media, that a couple of people were burned alive. This is this is really horrific, for for simply looking like they were chavistas, you know, mm. they were individuals that would just happen to be walking by, and the crowd grabbed them and it's like, this is a chavista. This person died. They were burned alive. This is this right. is the level. This is the level of horror that the opposition is capable of. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio and WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We're listening to an interview of Hector Figuerella, um, who's talking about the extreme violence mm-hmm. of the opposition. And when we talk about opposition, we're talking about the people who oppose the Bolivarian Revolution. And he described them as wealthy and white Venezuelans. And you just heard him describe burning of chavistas just because people who were um presumed to be chavistas just because they had darker skin and 
I believe that this opposition playbook really comes from uh, the one and only imperialist United States government. And so we wanted to play a song, The Clash, Washington Bullets. You'll hear many references to the U.S. violence um, from, you know, from Chile to the attempts to take out Fidel Castro um, to Afghanistan and Nicaragua and um, asking questions of people. Oh, mama, mama, look there. You children are playing in the street again. Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there. The cocaine guns are jammed downtown. The killing clowns of blood money men. Shooting those. Washington bullets again. Cause every cell in Chile will tell the cries of the tortured men. Remember when they in the days before, before the army came. Please remember Victor Hara in the Santiago Stadium. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You were just listening to a song uh, called Washington Bullets by The Clash that discussed uh, several imperialist initiatives by the United States in order to oust um, presidents, democratically elected presidents of other countries. Um, You're also listening to an interview with Hector Figuerella, who is discussing uh, Venezuela, the history of the Bolivarian Revolution, and the current crisis today. Um, we just left off with him discussing some of the methods of the opposition um, killing Chavistas um, and and the strength in... Well, we'll also be hearing about the strength and resistance as well. Um, so welcome back, and we'll play a little bit more of this interview with Hector Figuerella. Thank you so much for listening. That's a good um, point to bring us to today when you talk about the level of horror that the opposition is capable of. Can you talk about what's happening today, currently in Venezuela? 
Yes, yes. Um, so, so in 2017, there were elections, <clears throat> national elections for Congress, uh, and the opposition won uh, almost almost they, they won a supermajority <clears throat> at first, and then there were three members, three 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 winners, three elected members of Congress, members of the opposition, whose candidacy were um, questions for fraud. So investigations were started by the, by the government. The Supreme Court ruled that these three members of Congress did not, were not to be sworn in until the investigations into the fraud allegations were, were which were very, there were a lot, there were a lot of valid points too with this recordings, uh, voice recordings of people maneuvering. It was more, I think it was, it was vote buying. People were buying votes. So the Supreme Court issued the order to the to the National Assembly not to sworn in those three legislators. The National Assembly refused to obey the order from the Supreme Court. So putting them in contempt. So they went ahead and sworn in those legislators nonetheless. Uh, so breaking the the constitutional process. So this put the constitutional assembly as a whole in contempt. In contempt. So they. So anything that the national assembly, any legislation that they approved, it was just did not count. They were in contempt of court until until the investigations were concluded. Mm-hmm. So. So, so this this threw the opposition off, and they decided to uh, kick it into high gear and go and really escalate things against the government. Uh, been, there's, there were negotiations in the Dominican Republic in 2018. At the end of it, uh, these negotiations were mediated by former Spanish President Jose Jose, uh, Jose Zapatero, and so. The, the Maduro government and the opposition met for several months in the DR, and I believe it was the beginning of February. Both sides reached an agreement that they were both happy with. Uh, I don't know the details, but I know that it included uh, clemency for some individuals that were accused of terror attacks within the opposition, um, uh, a clear um, way to election, Whatever it was, the opposition was ready to sign. So they showed up to sign both both camps, the opposition and the Venezuelan government, showed up to sign the agreement. And apparently there was a call from Washington, D.C., from the Trump administration, and the opposition were told not to sign the agreement. So they walked away. And also they they said, they announced, the opposition announced that they would not participate in the presidential election that took place on May 20th, 2018. So this was definitely also that was something that was pushed by Washington, D.C., by the Trump administration. So this led to to, um, to Maduro's being reelected for the period of 2019-2025, and the opposition is calling his mandate is his term unconstitutional, illegal, because he did not get sworn in in front of the National Assembly because the National Assembly is in contempt. So 
Maduro was thrown in in front of the Supreme Court. So they're using this as a pretext for calling for the for the, for the Constitution on Article 233, which states that if the president is not able to perform his duties, if he dies, if he disappears, he leaves the he leaves the post. Uh, for whatever reason, the president cannot function um, as the president. Then the vice president takes over, and there must be elections within 30 days, new elections, new presidential elections. So when you look when you look at the article, so Juan Guaido, who was an unknown at the time uh, before he declared himself president on a public square, uh, Within within the frame of Article 233, it just doesn't fit. It's just, it doesn't, he's the president of the National Assembly that's on a rotating basis. So it just doesn't fit. And within minutes, he was, uh, within minutes, uh, President Trump recognized him as the legitimate president of Venezuela via Twitter. And it's, it's really, it's mind-boggling. And the United States went around and asked its allies, which they call the international community, usually just a handful of group, handful of countries. And surprising that Canada is is behind, the, you know, supporting this this crazy idea, uh, in Great Britain. So you have a situation where you're trying to install a federal government, which can lead to really a uh, dangerous situation, possibly civil war. So Juan Guaido has been calling for um, the usurper, who he calls him, to, to leave so he can go and take over as president. It's really, it's, it, it's almost comical if it weren't so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And even right now. So this was uh, January 23rd that he did this, Juan Guaido. And then a month later, because he, he 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 tried to gather, you know, garner support within the population, so they were hoping for mass massive turnout, uh, anti-government tr- uh, turnout, and also for about 50% of the military forces of Venezuela to turn against the Maduro government. Therefore, force the Maduro to resign, bring in Guaido in, and voila, he's president. And he's already calling for privatizing the oil industry, privatizing the housing uh, missions, which have built about 2.5 million homes, have basically given to the population a very low cost. Uh, so this is this is definitely a neoliberal uh, fall from the Venezuelan democracy that has been nonstop, and it's this it's coming. It's, 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 this is like this is the most this is the most attack that Venezuela has been under so far. So on on February 23rd, they decided, to the, to, with the help of US USAID, uh, to force so-called humanitarian aid into Venezuela by force. So you need humanitarian aid, we're going to push it through because you need it. And the Venezuelan government obviously decided you know, not to accept it. Mm-hmm. They, Keep in mind that also at the same time, the United States has frozen all assets uh, belonging to Venezuela, all assets belonging to PDVSA, 
which is connected to Zitco gas station, Zitco refineries here in the U.S. that Venezuelan owned. So about $30 billion were frozen. So Venezuela is not able to uh, to refinance his debt. Uh, take in mind that this happened, this started with under President Obama with with a resolution calling Venezuela in an easel threat to the United States in 2015. And this is when the financial sanctions started under Obama. And so it has made it very hard for the Venezuelan government to to make international payments. Uh, just to give you an example, about 300,000 units of insulin were to be delivered to Venezuela. The, the Venezuelan government paid for them. Citibank refused to transfer the payment so that the medicines were never delivered. And they're trying to do this with food as well. They're trying to uh, make the situation for the Venezuelan people insufferable. They're squeezing the population. They want them to starve, be deprived of medicine so that they demand a new government. That's, that's mm. it. So pushing the humanitarian aid on February 23rd, uh, it, it, the New York Times came out two days ago that it was the protesters on the Colombian side that were helped by the Colombian government. They were the ones who burned the, the trucks that were on the bridge, not the Venezuelan National Guard, as it was reported by by Secretary uh, Mike Pompeo and Marco Rubio and John Bolton. So so the lies are being debunked. Uh, we know that this is uh this is this has this has nothing to do with humanitarian aid and has all about to do with coupling the the elected government of President Maduro and putting an end to the socialist revolution in Venezuela and installing a neoliberal government that is friendly to American companies. Uh, John Bolton came out on Fox News saying that this will be very beneficial for American companies, oil companies, to be producing uh, Venezuelan oil, be beneficial for the United States economy. This is about, Donald Trump has said it, that it's about oil. He mentioned mm-hmm. that we should be at war with Venezuela. So this is this is a very dangerous moment right now for Venezuela. Um, so on the ground, Guaido, Juan Guaido is, is losing steam. There was a blackout that took place. Uh, there was no power most of the country for over 24 hours. And the Venezuelan government is saying, and it makes sense, it's saying that it was a, it was a cyber attack also, and also sabotage on the ground with explosions at different, uh, different plants, transmission plants, electrical plants. Mm. Power has been restored. So, so what's really dangerous right now is that Juan Guaido's losing steam. He promised something to Trump and Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, that he could not deliver. He promised that 50% of the military in the turn and that there will be massive uh, popular support for his, for his uh, declaration as, as, as president. And this that has not happened. He's losing steam. So when you look at on March 12th, which I believe was Tuesday, this past Tuesday, one by door call for protests on the street, street protests. And when you look at the, the turnout, uh, it, it's really very small crowds are people that are turning out. Because even, even within the opposition, even with, within, even with people that don't necessarily support the government, they realize that they don't want a foreign intervention in Venezuela. They don't want, uh, an economic boycott. They don't want sanctions. And they, they can see that this is what the position stands for. They, the position is willing 
who ask for more sanctions. So sanctions are warfare. You know, they hurt the poorest and most vulnerable. People are dying. Uh, I, I know that, you know, there isn't a number of the number of people that have died. Some say that it's in the hundreds, others in the thousands. But if we look at what the sanctions did in Iraq over a decade, uh, just just 500,000 children died because of those sanctions. So definitely the sanctions are killing people. And this is why, and according to the United Nations Charter, sanctions, unilateral sanctions, as in, as in the case against Venezuela in part of the United States, which are unilateral, are also illegal. So the sanctions against Venezuela are illegal under international law. And that's, this is something that needs to be uh, repeated and really affirmed to our elected officials here in the United States. Welcome back. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You're listening to Indigo Radio. We are listening to Hector Figuerella discuss uh, sanctions imposed by the United States on Venezuela. Um, you just heard him say that these are illegal um, sanctions and they're continuing anyway. And he called for us to repeat that um, so that we know sanctions are killing hundreds of children. Um, we are going to end with a song today, but um, we'll be playing more of Hector's interview that you can find on our podcast on SoundCloud. Um, and iTunes. And iTunes as well. Um, so we are going to end with a song by Sinead O'Connor uh, called Famine in Quotes. Um, she discusses the quote-unquote Irish potato famine, which she says is not really a famine. Yes, there was starvation and hunger, but it was caused by England forcing the Irish to uh, send out the produce that they were producing um, and only be eating potatoes. And that's what caused the hunger and starvation, not um, not a famine per se. Um, so today, on when many people are thinking about the Irish, we encourage our listeners to be reading the true story um, of, of the so-called Irish potato famine, but really the um, ruling class of England's control of food production. They were producing enough food to feed double their population at the time. Um, so we'll end our on-air radio show with Sinead O'Connor Famine, and we'll see you next time on Indigo Radio. Okay, I want to talk about Ireland. Specifically, I want to talk about the famine, about the fact that there never really was one. There was no famine. See, Irish people were only allowed to eat potatoes. All of the other food, meat, fish, vegetables, was shipped out of the country under armed guard to England while the Irish people starved. And then, in the middle of all this, they gave us money not to teach our children Irish. And so we lost our history. And this is what I think is still hurting me. You see, we're like a child that's been battered as to drive itself out of its head because it's frightened, still feels all the painful feelings. But they lose contact with the memory, and this leads to massive self-destruction, alcoholism, drug addiction, all desperate attempts at running. And in its worst form, becomes actual killing. And if there ever is going to be healing, there has to be remembering and then grieving so that the then can be forgiven. There has to be knowledge and understanding. Oh, lonely people. 
of our education, schools go on about Black 47, on and on about the terrible famine. But what they don't say is in truth, there really never was one. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. Uh, we just tried something new on Indigo Radio. We took us off the air and continued the recording. <laughs> thank you, Nina, on the board. And thank you, Daniel, <laughs> for yeah. helping us figure it out. <laughs> so um, we were, we're listening. We're playing right now an interview by Hector Figuerella. He was talking about something really important. He was talking about how the U.S. is really intervening in... Um, the Venezuelan elections. And he talked about how um, actually the democratic process in Venezuela is alive and well. And they were in like negotiations or mediation between the opposition and the Maduro government that they came to an agreement. And then the U S kind of interfered and blocked that agreement and said to the opposition, do not sign it. And so that kind of, that was after May, 2018. So that Fast forward us to January 2019, where the U.S. declares a new president in power. And I think it's really important for us to think about that the U.S. has interfered in democratic processes all over the world. Um, just from the years 1946 to 1989, mm-hmm. uh, American, oh, there was a st- Institute for Poli- Politics and Strategy at Carnegie Mellon University identified 62 U.S. interventions in foreign elections between those years. So, for example, Johnson's administration was fearful that the Guayana, Guyana, 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 thank you, 
um, would choose a socialist to be president. And so they, the U.S. jumped in and um, put a dictator into place. And the way that they do this is fraud in elections. Um, it just recently happened in Honduras last year. It's happened in Haiti multiple times. And the Haitian people are actually in the street right now because of the meddling in elections that's happened many, many times over the last 20 years. And so when we talk about U.S. intervention, we're not just talking militarily. We're also talking about multiple ways to intervene in the political and economic processes of the country. So we're going to uh, continue with um, Hector Figuerella's interview. And there are other ways to come into an understanding of other countries' politics through, through engagement, through diplomacy. And this is something that the opposition is willing, it's not willing to do. They don't want to sit at the table anymore. They're saying the time for talk is over. You need to leave Maduro and and uh, retire, and we take, we'll take it from here. It's, it's really absurd. So right now it's probably a, a very dangerous time because we have people such as Elliot Abrams, who was involved with the Iran-Contra scandal. Elliot Abrams was it's a ma was a mastermind of the death squad in Nicaragua, and he said convicted uh, felon. I mean, he was he lied to Congress, he was convicted for it, and he was pardoned um, by President uh, H. Uh, Walker Bush uh, for those crimes that he committed. And now he's back. And John Bolton was behind the telling of the Iraq War to the American people in 2002, 2003 which led to the death of over a million people and there's still people dying. So this is this is the old uh, hawks, war hawks, neocons that are trying to uh, move on Venezuela uh, as the next target. Uh, the situation on the ground is very tense, but the Venezuelan people uh, have shown great um, resolve and, and self-determination as far as what's really happening. They understand that they're under attack an imperial power, which is the world's most powerful military and biggest economy, is trying to annihilate and destroy uh, the economy, which they have destroyed the economy. The United States government has with sanctions and sabotage. And so they, they, they understand what's at stake here. And what they were hoping, what the opposition was hoping with the blackout, this is all, this is in operational manuals. Uh, war manual that said, you know, you target a country's electrical grid. Uh, so it's psychological warfare. You you promote just social upheaval because people are in complete darkness and people, they were hoping for people to die at the hospitals when there was no power. Um, there was, there's also a, a, just a mass flood of misinformation that have Venezuelans overall being fed into. And I, I can see this by just by talking to my family members in Venezuela that are telling me these horrible stories, these horrible atrocities that supposedly the Venezuelan government is committing. But when you go and you look into this and you look and you try to find this this horrible act of, you know, war crimes committed by the Venezuelan government, and they're not there. And, and a lot of people are, are not doing the diligent work of trying to find out what's true and what's not. So there's a lot of misinformation as well. Uh, so the and some people know what's at stake. And during the blackout, people were calm. They went to work, even without power. Uh, 
water was, was a huge problem because you couldn't pump water to neighborhoods. So, they, you know, people came together and they cooked communal meals and they found a way to find water. The government's been very proactive at trying to alleviate the situation for the Venezuelan people. So it's very, it's, you know, it's an ongoing developing situation and it's a very dangerous time for the Venezuelan people. And what I really want to urge people who are listening to this program is, is to call your member of, members of Congress, your representatives of Congress, senators, uh, and Congress, Congress people to, um, to demand that they, that they stay out of Venezuela. And uh, that's what we mean. When we talk about hands off Venezuela, we mean just get out of Venezuela, leave the Venezuelan people alone. Let, this is, this is a problem. This is a situation for the Venezuelan people to solve. It's just, you know, you want to help lift the sanctions. That will help tremendously. You want to help? Help with diplomacy, you know, bring people to the table like Mexico and Uruguay have, have proposed to mediate peace talks uh, between, both, between both sides. So definitely um, speak out because there's a lot, there's a lot of misinformation. You know, there is no dictatorship in Venezuela. Uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely a democracy. And one needs to be very aware of that and, and, and speak up against that. Uh, Thank you so much, Hector, for talking with us today on Indigo Radio, and we hope to have you on the show at a later date. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Indigo Radio. That was Becca Polk interviewing Hector Figuerella, um, who is talking about the sanctions that the U.S. has imposed on Venezuela, the attempted, uh, the attempt to put in place of Maduro um, Juan Guaido, who has not been elected by anybody um, except for the U.S. Um, and also the incredible strength of the Venezuelan people and their solidarity and taking care of one another when the electricity has gone out and when water has been a struggle to get. Um, and he, he left us with that message, hands off Venezuela means uh, let the Venezuelans be strong together and resist um, the U.S. imperialism that's happening. Um, we also wanted to play a clip from um, people in the streets of Northampton. Becca, you want to tell us more about that? Sure. A week and a half ago or a week ago Friday, there was a solidarity protest um, with uh, 35 people or so there. Um, who It was actually International Women's Day. And so Code Pink and this new organization that f has formed in the recent months, no U.S. intervention in Venezuela uh, came together and you know the message really was International Women's Day is about no war and so we're going to listen to one person's voice of why she's standing out on the street on International Women's Day. So tell us today why you're here. Uh, I'm here because the Venezuelan people need to decide their own fate They've elected their own government. We don't have any right to try to destroy it by economic sanctions, funding the opposition, and anointing <laughs> our own president for their country. And we certainly have no right to invade. Um, we, we've seen this all so many times before. Um, before I was born, which was a very, a very long time ago, when we overthrew Mossadegh in Iran, um, our Benz in, in Guatemala. 
um, we keep wanting to steal other people's resources and in Venezuela that means oil and gold. No, it's wrong. Venezuela for Venezuelan, Venezuelans, no war, stop the economic war, which is sanctions, and stop the political war, which is trying to impose another government on a people that already have one. So again, that was a woman in the streets on International Women's Day opposing U.S. intervention. Um, and so as we're wrapping up our show, I'm just wondering what's on Nina or Marisa, what's on your minds about what we've discussed and connections that we can make? Something that's been on my mind um, in doing all of these shows on Venezuela, but also uh, last weekends or two weekends ago, um, we had a film and study on imperialism and war and perpetual war. Um, is the logic of capitalism that necessitates this imperialist takeover of land. Um, under the system of capitalism in which we live, it's essential to continue to expand and profit off of resources. Um, so this is not something that's shocking. The patterns are so clear, um, and it's really up to us to educate ourselves um, because uh, we're, we're teaching this myth to our children. All of us are teachers here. Um, we're teaching many myths about uh, why, US, why the U.S. intervenes in other countries um, for so-called humanitarian crises that the U.S. has typically created in itself. Um, so I, I just want to remind us about that connection to capitalism um, that necessitates imperialism. Absolutely. Very well said. And I mean, one thing that all of this is making me think of, you know, um, Hector talked about, you know, the the democracy and the, and the people's participation. And, and Becca also mentioned, you know, how organized the people are in Venezuela to organize themselves. And, you know, one of the things that came out of um, the study the last time towards the end was, you know, what do, what do we do? And so to really think about the possibilities um that are within our reach to be able to organize as people against capitalism. Mm -hmm. I just was thinking about that, um, the commune, communes that the government gives them money and the community, the neighborhood gets to decide how that money is used. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that in Vermont, I mean, I think if the neighborhood got to decide where the money was being used, it would go to, to housing for all. It would go to education um, it would go to food for all. You know, I was actually at your school, Marisa, this week, and I noticed that there were pictures up of if I was president, what would I do? Mm. And s the common theme, and I don't know what grade it was, but the common theme was um, food, housing, and, um, you know, making sure that people have what they need to survive. And so young kids know that, and somehow it's taken out of us <laughs> as we get older and older <laughs> yeah. and older, that idea. I just wanted to mention um, solidarity can look like a lot of things. I think the biggest thing that we need to do here in the United States is hands off Venezuela, that message that it is not our, um, we do not have the right as the Monroe Doctrine <laughs> wrongly states to intervene in any country in the Western hemisphere. The, we want solidarity from the people to the people and we want the US government to stay out of Venezuela. And that means end the sanctions. 
it means no military intervention. And there is a letter going around. It's a petition on the Action Network. Vermont says no to war with Venezuela. And it's a petition going to Senator Leahy, Sanders, and Representative Welsh. And it talks about how uh, here at home, the war economy is starving our communities of needed resources. 53 cents of every federal discretionary dollar goes to military spending, while only 15 cents is spent on anti-poverty programs. And so just think, please sign that petition, join Brattleboro Solidarity and Indigo Radio in signing that petition along with Migrant Justice, Black Lives Matter, and International Women's League for Freedom and Peace. Thank you all so much. Thank you. We'll see you again.